Before we get to today's episode of Off the Bench, we want to remind you all that Monumental Sports Network is the new streaming service for all your D.C. sports. Watch live games, exclusive shows, and attend VIP events. You can start your free trial today at GetMonumental.com. Hello, WizKids, and welcome to another edition of Off the Bench. We're here today with an extremely special guest, NBA Hall of Famer, former Bullet, uh, Bernard King, who's here today to join us. We're going to talk about his new book, Game Face, A Lifetime of Hard-Earned Lessons on and Off the Basketball Court. Uh, we're going to talk about his time here with the Bullets, of course, and how he revitalized his career after a very bad knee injury. Um, talk about how you're one of the best scorers of all time, which, I mean, I would have loved to learn how to how to be like you when I was younger to get that those <laughs> points, those buckets. Uh, a lot of your time knowing Ernie Grunfeld, our, the president of the Wizards, uh, for a long time back at Tennessee, then with the Knicks and since. Um, but but let's get it started. I mean, I wish we could show your game face to everyone that we got to see before the game. Uh, but we'll, you know, it's strictly audio here. But uh, I guess our first question for you is tell us just about this book that you're promoting. I know you, you've been up and down the coast already promoting it. So give us, you know, your two cents on game face. Well, uh, during my time spent in the NBA, I was uh, more or less a very private individual. And so I was considered an enigma, so to speak. And this is an opportunity for people to get to know Bernard. Uh, I take you inside my, my life, uh, take you inside my, my life's journey. And I remember sitting at home at 2 a.m. in the morning, and my daughter was about to go off to college as, as a freshman that very same day. And it was a time of uh, re reflection and introspection, and I thought about uh, growing up as a young kid in Brooklyn and my journey along the way and the many steps and obstacles I have personally have overcome. And I wanted to uh, share that uh, with the general public and, and take the public on a ride through the drama and the action and, and the moments of, of my life that was joyous. Now we're not we're not all Hall of Famers in this room, Bernard. So, <laughs> so we don't all have a you know a, a Hall of Fame career to write about and have sort of the trials and tribulations that you've had in your life. But how long have you been thinking about writing a book, and how long has this sort of been on your mind to do? I've been approached in the past uh, about writing a book, and it was not something that I had seriously considered. Uh, I had retired from professional sports and got involved in broadcasting, was fortunate to win three Emmys in that arena, and went into business for myself as well. And my wife and I, we had a daughter to raise, and I wanted to make sure that it really was there as part of her life, and, uh, my daughter Amina. By the way, she calls me dad, I'm not daddy. <laughs> and um, But once she um, was going to go off to college, I, I thought it was the appropriate time where I could spend time and spend it at home and uh, really get into the uh, aspects of my life and, and share that with everyone. And, and going through that process, um, you know, how many... How it many is a process. Did, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> take, take us through it a little bit just because, you know, I, I think when people think about, oh, like you wrote a book, like you sat down and, you know, started writing, but who, who do you talk to through that process? And, and when you're thinking about what goes into it from, you know, the time that you were growing up in New York to now looking back on a Hall of Fame career, how do you kind of sort through all that and who's kind of your confidants and the people that kind of helped you walk through that as you try to put it all, condense it all into just a book, you know, since you've, since you've been through a lot and seen a lot? 
both well, on and off. You the know, floor. obviously, you you have a literary agent, but their responsibility is to connect you with a publisher. Uh, then you have to decide whom you'd like to work with uh, in writing your life story, because it's a very intimate story, uh, and uh, you have to make sure that you're extremely comfortable with who you're going to speak with and talk to about your life. And I was very fortunate that um, I met and was connected with my, my co-author, Jerome Freisler, uh, who's really outstanding. Uh, he's written 30 books overall, uh, four of them for Tom Clancy, uh, nine New York Times number one bestsellers. And I really chose him more than anything else for a variety of reasons. Uh, he had the skill sets to write bios, he had the skill sets to write fiction as well, and I thought that was an important element in terms of writing fiction because it's storytelling when you tell your, you tell your story. You wanted to really connect uh, with the general public. And we had a chemistry, he's from Brooklyn as I am, we're the same age, and that was the beginning of the process. And as we moved along, really he went along with what I wanted to write and what I wanted to talk about. And oftentimes in the middle of the night at 4 o'clock a.m. in the morning, I'm a night person. That's when I did most of my writing is at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and, and then take a few hours to rest and, and, and go back at it during the course of the afternoon. But it was very cathartic uh, because you're discovering feelings that maybe you have put aside and hidden away for, for quite some time. Without giving away the whole book, do you want to you know do a little spoiler, a little excerpt that you know, maybe not a lot of people knew about you that that's in this book that you detail? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the very beginning. Uh-huh. Uh, so we, we can start there. I, I started playing basketball when I was in the third grade. And a lot of kids, uh, not only in my area, but throughout this country, you know, love the game of basketball. And in my elementary school, in the lunchroom, there was a basket. And during the break, we would attempt to shoot the ball and, and make a basket and we were so small and so short and we didn't have the strength necessary really to, to get the ball even up to the rim oftentimes and most of the kids I can see it because as I said I visualize it's a very strong suit of mine and so I see myself standing there looking up at that basket right now as that little kid and most of the other kids walked away one by one and I just stayed and I was determined that I would not leave until I finally made a basket and the ball went through that hoop. And I'll never forget that feeling. I, just, I can see the lunchroom right now as I'm talking to you. And that ball went through the hoop, and I started jumping up and down with hooping with hoops of joy. <laughs> it, was, it was jubilation, something. It was a feeling I had never experienced before. And I, I, I really, it's akin to eating cotton candy as a kid. Remember eating cotton candy? Of course. And what that feeling is like when you get that first taste of your cotton candy mm-hmm. in your mouth? Well, that's what it was like putting that ball in a hoop for me. And I wanted to feel that over and over and over again. And when I was in the sixth grade, I played in my first formal tournament. And believe it or not, the name of that team was named the Knicks. <laughs> we had orange T-shirts with the Knicks emblazoned across the front. They started out with ten lines and, and maybe ten deep selecting kids from each line and I was chosen I was only sixth grade everyone else was in junior high school and I was a scrub you know what a scrub is yeah. <laughs> I think we've all been called one of those That's yeah well I well I was a scrub that's how I started out as a scrub I, I couldn't play uh-huh. 
And so I was that guy that was the 12th man on the bench that the fans, you know, here in this arena, everyone cheers for when the 12th man gets in the game, right? <laughs> Come on, put him in, put him in, yeah. put him in. And so everyone was shouting, put in a little small. That was my nickname, put in a little small. And I entered the game, and I was nervous as heck. And if you couldn't picture this for a moment, I was wearing black dress socks. I didn't have sweat socks. I had black dress socks on, so I was really a scrub. Short shorts, right? Yeah, yeah, short shorts. And I was really a scrub. And I, I, I remember taking my first shot, and somehow or another, the ball sank in. And I could not believe it. We won the championship that year. And uh, I took that trophy home, and before I can get home, I walked around the corner and walked into someone's fists and punched me in my eye and they stole my trophy. <laughs> so that was my first introduction to, to winning a trophy, but I fell in love with the game and trained and conditioned myself and uh, really motiv- my, motivated myself to aspire to greatness. Well, that, that was your first bucket of many buckets to come, as, <laughs> as we uh, saw in your illustrious career through the NBA. But I guess for, you know, for our younger audience that didn't get to watch Bernard you know, play through the late 70s and all through the 80s, this guy was someone that could get buckets, and he did it. He did it in every way, and he was a tough, tough competitor, and a gritty, gritty player. So I just, I guess, for, I, there's a little bit of an introduction from where you started there, but from there, when did you actually realize, you know, this basketball thing might be for me? Because I'm guessing it wasn't from being the the 12th man on the bench <laughs> to being a Hall of Famer. There had to be some kind of, you know, uh, connection there somewhere along the way where you thought. I, this basketball, you know, this could be a real career for me. Well, because it is feelings that were generated from playing the game, I, I wanted to be very good at it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had to put in the necessary work to make that happen. And we all have dreams, and I had an aspiration of, of as a little kid, of playing for the Knicks. Uh, certainly I aspired to that. But each and every day I went out on the court, I wanted to get better. Uh, better so that I could play with the kids that were older than myself because that's how you improve as as a player. And so I spent the time trying to perfect the game, perfect my skills. And every day I learned something new, not only about the game but about myself. And that really helped me tremendously in terms of my growth within the game. Now, there comes a point perhaps uh, where you realize that you have a skill. And what happens, I think, in, in general, a lot for a lot of people that may not realize it, you're not born to play basketball. If you put in the time and you put in the work and you put in the effort and you arrive eventually at a point that you realize that you have a gift, but you can never arrive at that point if you don't put in the work. So you may miss your gift. Some of those other kids I spoke of may have had that gift as well. But they didn't continue to work, and I, I did. And one day I realized, uh, I guess when I was in the 10th grade, that I had a special, a very special gift and that I wanted to be the best. I decided I wanted to be the best player to ever play basketball. That was pretty high, yeah. a tall order. <laughs> but you, you, if you shoot for the moon, you, you're amongst the stars if you fail, right? Yeah, exactly. And a heck of a, a, heck of a career to, to uh to fall on there and and growing up kind of in the mecca well not kind of in in the mecca of basketball and, and rooting for the knicks and obviously eventually getting to play for the knicks but just growing up in new york 
how you know how many i mean we, we all know a lot of the legends of the game that that are also from new york yeah how did that influence you from a young age and obviously you know since since you came out of new york and, and while you were coming up from new york some of those great players that you played alongside with against um you know growing up i guess how did that influence you and how did that really help you develop you know your character on the floor once you got to tennessee and the nba well, we've always referred to basketball in New York City as a city game uh, because there's black top courts and, and basketball courts throughout the entire borough of Brooklyn, throughout the entire city. Uh, I had a court in front of my building. I had a court behind my building. I had another court 100 yards away. And then across the street, I had another court there. So there were basketball courts everywhere that, that was suitable to play in the game. Uh, traditionally, in New York City, the game that was uh, prominent was three-on-three basketball. Not not five-on-five, five, but three-on-three. Three. And three-on-three three basketball is far more physical than five-on-five five because you're more you're in a closer proximity to each other, so there's a lot more contact. You have to have heart to play three-on-three three basketball on the playgrounds in New York City. As uh, far as the legendary players, you don't think about those players. Uh, you're, you're focused on playing basketball yourself. You're not thinking about NBA players. Well, my, my basketball uh, idol was uh, Dave DeBusher, but my idol in life was Sidney Poitier, mm. uh, who was a great, great actor of his day and of his time, and he was a very articulate man, a very well-dressed man, and uh, impeccably dressed, and he was a great, great actor. And uh, I tried to emulate him at every turn that I, that I could as a young kid. I spent a great deal of time reading books uh, at night underneath the covers with a flashlight. My mother would catch me. <laughs> and the books that I read were psychology books. Uh, it made me a very analytical person. That's who I am, and that's how I played the game. I broke the game down like it was a puzzle and then took it apart and then put it back together. Each and every time you put it together in a different way, and that's what bas- basketball represented to me. We mentioned the game face earlier, and it's in the book title. Will you kind of refresh us about where that came from and when it became really a staple of yours? Was it in New York, or uh, how? Did, when did it really take off as kind of your signature, uh, I mean, game face? When I was punched in the face. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> My trophy was stolen. Okay. So it's dating back all the way from middle school, right? Well, I, I had a game face from uh, the, the day that I started playing basketball. Uh, more than anything else because I was very intense. I was passionate about it. I had a fire inside, and I I truly wanted to be very, very good at it. We've heard, I mean, some of the people, even the great players that played against you that talked about, you know, when they had to guard you, I don't want to say that they were afraid, but I, th- I think hey, I'm a nice guy. Come on now. <laughs> uh, I had a game face, but, but I'm a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, and, you were, and I guess it, I don't know if it was your persona or sort of the what you gave off. Like there were guys that were they were afraid to play Bernard King. I mean, you were just, you know, a New York guy. Tough and and I, you know you could have been a nice. I don't know how many of them even knew you that well off <laughs> no, the court. None of them. Kno- I didn't want to get to know you. Which yeah, is right. you're my enemy. Yeah, I want to yeah. dominate you. I yeah. don't want to get to know you. I don't want to be your friend. And, <laughs> and we, I like that. And I like I, I wish I grew up and to to watch all that because obviously you still follow the game closely now. Absolutely. And, it, and it's that sort of stuff. It, I want to say it just doesn't exist like that anymore. And I think is that fair to say that sort of the that. 
that side of it where you don't, you know, everyone now seems like they're all, it's so much, you know, it's a friendlier, friendlier atmosphere on the floor between teams. Is that, is that a fair statement now, do you no, think? No, that, that, that's a fair statement. Uh, that's not the way that I played the game. Uh, I couldn't play like magic smiling all the time. <laughs> Every, everyone has to develop an aura and, and a feeling that allows them to play at the highest level. And I could not have played basketball in, in that way. Yeah. And I wasn't looking to intimidate anyone mm-hmm. uh, in any way. But I remember Dominique Wilkins saying to me uh, one day, I was seated in a restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia with my wife. And the next thing I know, Dominique Wilkins sits down beside me. He said, <laughs> I, was, I heard you were here in the restaurant. My nephew called me. And I just had to come down and say hello. And that was the first time we had spoken to one another off the court. And he proceeded to tell me that when he was with the Atlanta Hawks and I was with the Knicks, they would argue in the locker room <laughs> before the game about who was going to guard me because no one wanted to guard me. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I remember, the, Bernard, the first time I played against you. We were at the center circle, and Dominique said that, I said hello to you, and you just glared at me. <laughs> And I, I, I never thought about it in, in, as, a, as a means of um, intimidation, as I said. And I, I've heard other reporters say to me over the years that we've gotten to know you now because you're in our space. You're working with us as a broadcaster. You're a nice guy. But everyone was afraid to talk to you. I said, come on, why? <laughs> <laughs> Who are some of the, you know, like, like we said, you played in a different era, era of the NBA, a different era of the game. Who are some of the guys that – you know, I don't want to say like matched your intensity, but like brought a similar, you know, aura about them to the floor. And, you know, from a defensive standpoint, when they were, whoever did try to guard you, who were some of the guys that, that really were like the greats of, of your time that you looked forward to challenging and looked forward to, to playing against? Every night I had a challenge, and I'll tell you why. How many Hall of Famers do you think I played against during the course of my career? Now, my career began in 1977, and I retired in 1993. During that time, how many Hall of Famers do you think I played against? Mm, that's a good one. That is a Come good, on. good I, I, 33. Take, just take a guess. Okay, you say yeah, 33. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it has to think? be at least, I was going to say at least 25. How about you? But I know it's more now that we're, now that we're having this guess. The, the guess. <laughs> You mean because I mean, you, you went head to head that I played against, not okay. necessarily at my position, but okay. I played against on a nightly era. basis during yeah. the course of that period of time. How many Hall of Famers do you think I? I'd probably against? say in the forties, fifty-one. Oh, wow, because wow. we, I mean, because for our generation growing up, so many of the greats that we heard about growing up, you played against through That's right. that, yeah. you know, through that time. All the people that we were told like these are these are the legends of the game. Mm-hmm. You over your career. Saw yeah, all wow. of them at one point or another, either yeah. at the ends or beginnings. You played in the seventies, and yeah. life in life in the seventies was different than the life was in the eighties, and what life was like in the nineties, and and the NBA reflected all of that. And at my position, every night that I played, essentially, I was playing against a Hall of Fame small forward mm-hmm. every single night that that I played played here in Washington, Hall of Fame small forwards, New York's. Hall of Fame small forwards, and you have to bring your A game every single night. But I had a systematic approach to how I played the game. I didn't play it on a creative level. I played it on a very thoughtful, analytical, high IQ level, and that was my approach. And, and so I had nine spots on the left, 
nine spots on the right, four spots, one from the front of the rim to the top of the key, and if you count those, that's 22 spots. I had 22 spots, and that's the only place you would ever see me take shots. Then on the left side of the floor or the right, there's only five ways you can be defended by a single defender. And so I had five moves based on the five different ways I would be defended. And then the only place I'm going is to one of those nine spots to take my shot. And my favorite shot was along the baseline. Can anyone tell me why? I would want to take the shot along the baseline. Come on, this is class here now. <laughs> I don't. Take I, a guess. Just take a guess. Why would I shoot along the baseline? Uh, Just guessing. You could rise up and have a clear shot over oh, someone. Okay. That's a good answer. I, I, would say, I guess just that it, you knew where the defense was. You knew absolutely. where the defense yeah, was coming. Forced, yeah, it forced the defense to a certain – there are only certain ways the defense could guard you. Now think about the baseline. Mm-hmm. If I'm driving to the baseline, just picture this for those of you listening. I'm driving to the baseline, and I elevate along the baseline. There's no defender from out of bounds. So they can only guard there's only a single defender, angle, yeah. Yeah. the defender that's on me, because there's no help coming from out of bounds. And the only help that can come can only come by trailing you or coming from across the leg. Mm-hmm. And so this allows me to take a shot against a single defender and be very efficient because I'm on my king spot. That's what I call those nine spots, my king spots. Wow. Lesson. Lesson. Yeah. Saber. A Saber <laughs> yeah. guy before Saber was big. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I, I mean, it's the analytical approach way before, you know, all these numbers that we talk about now. I use it every single night. Yeah. And, and it works. And I can help elevate your game, your game, and your game <laughs> with that approach. I, I was <laughs> hey, going to say. I can help you. Okay. But, yeah. You know, the other interesting thing I'll share with you, at least about that, I never followed through mm-hmm. when I took a shot. You're, you're taught to follow through. And if you ever Why see any that? photo of me, that photo on the cover of this book, uh-huh. there's no follow through. I I shot this way, open handed, and never breaking my wrist. And the reason for that is I was six seven, and oftentimes I'm playing against bigger guys. I started playing in the center position in high school as as six five, six six, six seven, and I'm always playing against a bigger guy. I had great leaping ability. But if you release without breaking your wrist and following through, then you can get the shot off much quicker against a bigger defender like Kevin McHale, yep. who's 6'10". Yep. Or even yep. Manu Bo, who was my teammate <laughs> at 7'7". Seven, seven. <laughs> That's know? right. Yeah. Uh, th- speaking of Manu Bo, former uh, God bullet, bless him. Um, you were here. You kind of revitalized your career after a really bad knee injury. What – what gave you the uh, the motivation to just be one of the first guys to really come back from an ACL tear? I mean, I know it took a long time, but you came back. You said you were going to make an all-star game after your time with the Knicks. You made it in, 19, in 1990-91 when you – I mean, you averaged, what, 28 points a game at age 34? I mean, what gave you that made motivation? Made all pro. Made yeah, all pro as well. Started how, in, how started did you really manage to do that? It, I went back to Little Spall as a kid. And that climb that I made all the way from the blacktop and four green projects where I grew up at, all the way to the top of the NBA where I was voted most valuable player of the league by the players, leading the NBA in scoring, averaging 32 points a game. So I went back to that little small individual who's in here. Mm-hmm. I am little small. Is in here. It's in my heart. It's in my soul. And I thought that if I could do that, 
and I certainly can handle this. Now, I was told I would never play again by three doctors, but that doesn't mean it can't be done because it hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. And I set out to do it, and, and my way was simply pretty simple, I thought. Take each day, and at the end of that day, take one step toward climbing the entire mountain. And that's what I did each and every single day. But what I did, more importantly, to validate what I did during the course of my workouts for five hours a day, six days a week, after each session of five hours, I would take my right hand and I would pat myself on the back. <laughs> and I would say, great job today, Bernard. Great job today. Yes, I was doing something that was seemingly impossible. Right. It was my personal Mount Rushmore. Mm -hmm. And I was able to accomplish that and came back with uh, six games remaining uh, in the season in, in 87 and played very well, averaged 22 points a game, became a free agent, wound up signing here in Washington. And that was a joy playing here in Washington during that period as well. It was just simply wonderful being here. Yeah, that was great to see, you know, revitalize your career that way, doing it here in Washington. And I'm just curious, in writing this book, and I don't know how much you get to talk to current players about coming back from injury or going through tough times like that. If you do, you can speak on that. But do you hope that, um, do you hope that by writing things, you know, by opening up about your life and about, you know, coming back from, from your injury and going through what you did, that there are going to be guys that go through tough injuries today, or maybe not even in basketball, you know, go through tough times in life, and they're able to take, uh, take sort of, you know, you led by example with what how you went through it, and that they're going to be able to, to sort of take that on and, and apply it to their own life. Well, I think you touched on it um, in a very big way. The, the book transcends basketball and transcends the game. And it goes to the very core of living life to, to, to its fullest. And in life, you're going to fall down, as I would always say. But it's not the pain that's in the falling. The pain is in getting up. And a lot of people don't get up in life, whether it's from an injury, whether it's from personal problems, whether it's from issues on the job, or whether it's just from trying to live mm -hmm. a whole and full life. A lot of people don't get up. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the book will help to in inspire others uh, to fulfill their own success and, and fulfill their own goals that they've set out for themselves. And, and I think that more importantly, you have to put in the work. And regardless of what you decide to do in life, if you put in the work, you study it, you analyze it, you develop a plan, and you set that goal, then you certainly can achieve it. And I think really that is really the core of the, my story and that is the core of many people's story if you're looking for love you're going to find it in my book <laughs> okay nice. if you're looking to Romance. get a better job you're going to find it in my book if you're trying to learn how to self-motivate yourself to a higher level you're going to find it in my book i think that there are many answers to many questions not that I, i've only had in life but others may have that it'll inspire them to find those answers was was that the most fun or I guess you know fulfilling rewarding maybe part of writing this you know is obviously you get to look back on, on your whole life and tell your story but knowing that you have a story that can help people out and um, you know help help people you know go through whatever they're going through or you know improve on something that, that makes them think a different way is is that 
you know maybe the most rewarding part and and maybe if not what what was the most the most fun part of this whole long process of coming up with you know all those pages of, of stuff about you you know what i think probably the most fun part was not just the writing aspect but oftentimes i would sit on my deck and and i would write and i love nature and have bird feeders in the backyard and so sometimes i'll, I'll just see beautiful yellow butterflies i'll see cranes flying in the sky I'll just see the evergreens swaying in the wind and I'll stop and write a poem because I've been writing poetry uh, since I was a kid and that's part of uh, part of who I am I want to end this with something please please do may I yes it's a reading it's a very short reading oh yeah please okay it's the opening of my book and I just want to share it with everyone that's listening if I may and I titled this B-Ball. I wouldn't be here if not for basketball. Literally, I would not be alive. The game taught me to believe in myself and gave me love even when I didn't love myself. It gave me joy whenever I made a basket or grabbed a rebound because of the beautiful feelings it generated in my being, as would a sunny day after the rain. Basketball gave me confidence and the freedom to weave a fabric of mind, body, and spirit so strongly constructed I was able to face all life's challenges. As a young boy on the court, it was informative, providing no shortage of signals only I understood. Basketball was my truth. I seized the ball, spun it, shot it, and dribbled around and over any hurdles. This is the uniqueness of what my basketball meant to me. Oh, I love you, B-Ball. <laughs> that represents, really, my story. Awesome. That's awesome. Excellent. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we loved it. Loved it. And now and you can get your copy of, of Game Face by Bernard King. It's available now. He's on the book tour moving around the East Coast. Um, You'll hear him on all the outlets, and you can uh, definitely worth a read. Basketball fans, non-basketball fans, as he said, it uh, it touches everyone, and it's uh, highly recommended. I know a lot of the Hall of Famers have uh, said great things about it, and we can't wait to get our get have a great our quote from Ernie Grunfeld here on the yes. back of the book as well. You yeah, can get it at Amazon, you can get it at Barnes and Noble. And uh, I also did my own audio recordings. So if you prefer to hear my voice and hear my passion and my joy and all that I feel and all the emotions when I wrote this book, get the audio book. Excellent. Awesome. Love well, it. Thanks so much, yeah. Bernard, Thanks for, for joining us. Thanks, Thanks Bernard. Thank really Bernard. appreciate it. Appreciate 2013 it Hall of Famer and forever also Washington Bullet. So thanks Absolutely. again. Absolutely. All, all right. the way. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Ciao for now, WizKids. Kids.